0: star jump sequence terminates, Captain.
1: Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast sheet. Oh, aye, sir. Bring us in closer.
0: Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive.
1: Extreme magnification. Aye,
0: sir.
1: The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance.
2: This is it, ladies and gentlemen,
1: the edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the Event Horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow.
0: And I am your other host, Susan Fox.
1: And with us is the author of Ian Quicksilver, The Warrior's Return, uh, book one. And I assume there are several other books in this series. Uh, Her name is Allison Peterson. Welcome to the show.
2: Hello, thank you. It's it's good to be here, (laughs) sort of. I mean, me being where I'm living and you guys where you're living, it's still good to be here regardless.
0: (laughs) We're all here in the event horizon where the the end of the universe happens, and we're all having drinks. (laughs) But of course, since I could go for that, yeah. So, but but since this book is is uh, Y A clearly because it takes place in a high school, the drinks are, are milk and Pepsi and you know whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking right, right. to it. So, <laughs> oh my
2: goodness, sorry about that.
0: No, that's all right. I think it's it's the same as back when we were, you know, starving on the salary we used to uh, dream of. Now we're we're starving on the bandwidth we used to dream of.
2: <laughs> that's understandable. It's just telling my teenage sons. I'm sorry, you can't do anything. No phones. No computer. And they're like, right. what? Wait a minute.
0: <laughs> and uh, Jean is doing the same. Charles is. I'm sure is on I don't know what game it is this week but (laughs) you know last year this time it was Minecraft it could be anything now
2: oh yeah well last year for my boys it was uh, Pokemon this year it's Clash Royale so yeah it's
0: like
2: whatever floats your boat kiddo
0: listen Pokemon got people out of the house last year I'm I'm all for it (laughs)
2: Yeah, I'm all for that. Yeah, I'm definitely all for
0: that. The problem with the name Pokemon Go, when you run it together, it looks like Poke Mongo. Well, <laughs> Mongo Ma- didn't <laughs> like that for some reason.
1: Mongo just pawn in game of life.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, where are we at? Um. I hate to be, you know, sound all gendered about my fiction, but there's stuff for girls and there's stuff for boys. No matter what's, you know, going through their little heads, there's, you know, people want to see themselves in, in fiction. People want to see, want to be the hero, or the heroine, as the case may be. And I think the average American boy's going to see himself in this hero, in a ha- in a hot minute. Right.
2: Which is a good thing because um, I mean the whole reason I switched from uh, girl point of view, I mean all heroine point of views, um, to all male uh, was mainly because my sons had the hardest time finding book report books to do and um, and ones that they actually enjoyed and uh, and of course anybody any parent who has kids that's doing book reports for fourth to sixth grades. It is like pulling teeth. It is such a nightmare, and finding a really good book for teenage boys um, was even more difficult. So uh, for me, that was my my main goal: is just finding books that they can enjoy, that they can pass over, and really identify with.
1: Yeah, uh, Percy Jackson comes to mind. That's exactly the sort mm-hmm. of
0: thing. We should have talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there was there's great uh, girl goddesses demigoddesses in those books and there's there's uh, at least one excellent uh girl character in in uh <coughs> excuse me there's an excellent girl character in ian quicksilver in fact there wouldn't be a story
2: without her
1: so tell us a little no? bit about ian quicksilver as a character
2: uh Ian oh Ian is 100% my oldest son. He is super dry and snarky and uh and but he's full warrior. I mean he's got that fighting spirit. Um and he just keeps on trying and trying and trying and never gives up. And um I I think everybody, I mean not just teen boys need that a little extra boost to know that they're not alone and that life is hard and to to give them that idea that you know they can make it they can keep going keep moving forward and yeah. and that was i mean, it was my driving okay. force behind Ian cuz when i when i developed him i laughed i was like oh this poor kid i'm going to put him through so much <laughs> but um i i really enjoyed doing it because his attitude on life is just i wouldn't say it's positive it's just awfully snarky but he keeps going
0: did he go from, you know, a, a scrawny weakling to to a stud muffin overnight cuz it I know it sure seems that way when when a kid hits a certain age.
2: Oh my goodness. Yeah, I've got two boys and uh You know, one just stopped growing and the other one is shooting up and my goodness, it does. And it feels like I am feeding eight instead of two. And, uh, and it really does feel like it because I blink and I think, oh my goodness, you're taller than me. How did that happen? That's unfair, isn't it? I know. Especially sometimes particularly short.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like a, you turn around and suddenly, uh, mother and son become a skyscraper with a two car garage.
2: Oh, yep. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But they're so much fun. I, I mean, I do have to say my boys, they're just the main inspiration for all my characters. Um because they're a riot. I, I did not do anything to make them that way. They just came awesome. And, uh, so funny and their humor, oh my goodness, I can crash my car multiple times just laughing over the things that they come up with. And uh but they're still growing and learning and developing and it all shows up in the books.
1: So this is um a, a galactic story. And yet, uh-huh. and yet it's it's about it's, magic and yet it's about magic, which is an odd. I mean, we, you know, it's it's an unusual it's an unusual, it's comedy, an unusual uh an unusual approach
2: right people tend to go one or the other. right. Um, I did notice I do I am a connoisseur of all things Harry Potter and I do love it, but they they, they made um, they made magic a little medieval uh, um, a little primitive you know it seems like you know, she put in this very medieval kind of uh, atmosphere. And um and I really enjoy that, but I really enjoy the futuristic. I'm on another planet. I you know, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know how to hem myself. You know, I'm dealing with aliens kind of thing. And uh, I wanted to really mesh the two and give magic more of a update. So it's not uh you know it's not full science fiction. It's more you know it's magical science fiction
1: science fantasy I don't know if I created
2: myself a yeah science fantasy science fantasy it's a
1: genre it is a thing so that's you know that's perfectly valid as a as a form Um, so uh, you had your son to use as a as a model
0: I'm wondering who modeled mm-hmm. some of the other folks in the book. I have my mental images of, you know, the the gym coach from Heck who turns out to be <laughs> a, actually a, a very strong ally of, of uh, Ian's. Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas I'm just mental. Ho, ho, ho. Sorry, sorry.
2: That's um, <laughs> no, all good. Um, well, while Ian is my son, Ariana actually is I hate to admit it. She is very much me. Um, you know, just our, our past and that kind of atmosphere that she was in mirrored mine growing up. And, um, the way that she handles herself is very much the way I handled myself as a teenager. And, um, but I don't want to really go into details because she had a horrible upbringing, upbringing, and so did I. So.
0: Well, and your mm. children, please, <laughs> please God, no time soon, are, your children are not orphans. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, let's, let's not do that.
0: <laughs> so, how many books in um, the in the
1: Ian Quicksilver series, and how how far out have you charted this? Well, I don't think she's
0: got more than the two at this point.
2: Yeah, I have two. Number three is actually coming out September of mm. two thousand seventeen.
0: Ah. Um, so two oh, published
2: so year. far. Oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's more. <laughs> that's getting it's yeah that. Uh-huh. It, the sudden awareness that that deadline doom is approaching.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, especially since I'm I'm constantly working on new new projects, so I keep on thinking, oh yeah, no, that book's coming out next year. Next year is technically this year, in a couple of months. So, <laughs> I I gotta get that around my wrap my head around it. Um, I do have one more book to close out the series, um, in the Ian Quicksilver, and then I've got other books coming out. Um. I just I just really enjoy the universe that I created. So I actually created a new series on a different planet with a different species of alien. Mm -hmm. And um so it's a it's totally the same uh galactic universe, same galactic uh you know
0: galactic civilization.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And but you know, just on a different planet. And so and it's just been a whole a whole lot of fun. So I just I'm not ready to leave my universe yet. <laughs>
0: well, you shouldn't have to. No one says you have to. You can stay. Well, and Yeah, I know. It's lovely. <laughs> Frank Frank Herbert spent
1: so much time building his world and the uh His
0: kid won't leave.
1: Yeah, his kid won't. <laughs> yeah. leave. And the, and the the uh, um, the uh writer's guide for that world is like 600 pages. Mm-hmm. It, it's like uh uh, it's bigger than most novels to start with, just just oh. just that. And yeah. uh, if you've invested that kind of time and energy into world building, there's no reason you should have to leave. You can write right. thirty books in this in in, in this universe, and right. probably never get tired of
2: it. No, well, in my notes on just uh, the the systems of each planet and what each planet is responsible for, um, you know, their, their social structures and that sort of thing are so extensive. It's ridiculous. And I keep on thinking, well, I don't know if ever this will reach the page, ever. But um, it does add color while I'm... Um, while i'm writing you know and and of course you know there were hints dropped especially in book two about other planets and um and why warriors are so essential to the galaxy as a whole and um and also you know the garfellians why they're so important you know it's just they really are the quintessential war and peace planets and you really can't live without one or the other Mm -hmm. and uh And so, and then of course I was like, well, what are the other planets doing that really need these two planets? And then all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making a list and what these people look like. And, you know, some of them have a third eye in the middle of their forehead and, but why is that necessary type thing, you know? And, and, you know, it's just a lot of fun. I I just can't help myself. And I, then of course I think to myself, I should probably sit down and write because my deadlines are coming up. (laughs) Yeah. But
0: well, you know the worlds that the, the greater world that you're you're living in and you're writing in, and it adds even if we don't ever see the planet Glorp, knowing that it's there and that the you know the Glorpian um, you know pork pies are the best, <laughs> you know it's whatever it is. What just don't laugh at me. Yeah, but it adds richness. You see, it is a complete world. I'm we just... may never see it. We may never see more than a corner of it.
1: Yeah, right. I'm just but picturing these, these pies full of Glorp.
2: <laughs> Don't knock until oh. you've tried it, buddy. <laughs> oh, you know, my writing partner and I, we sat down and she said, you know, you really need to have Ian, you know, especially in book three. I mean, we're all off planet, off Earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's like, you really need to have Ian miss Earth a little bit so that your readers aren't just dumped into the middle of the galaxy. Like they have some grounding Mm-hmm. as to, you know, what he's experiencing. And I thought, well, how am I going to do that? I mean, he's on a completely different planet, clear across the galaxy. And uh, we brainstormed for forever. She's like, you know it would be really funny is if the food was absolutely disgusting.
0: There are no Pop-Tarts anywhere but Earth.
2: That's right. And and I was like, oh, like if it moved, you know, like you want worms and they just love it. And like a little crunch and then a little feet running over their tongue as they swallow kind of thing. And she's like, oh, that's horrible. Do it. <laughs>
0: what is the worst possible thing you can do to your characters?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and of course, I have one planet in book three. Um, there's Olfin and Bantith that have been warring, and they're going to finally just end the war that they've been warring for centuries. And uh, and so the warriors of Bank here are going, and they're going to end this war once and for all. And, and Ian is very invested in this war because Olfen is the, it's like the breadbasket of the galaxy and, and it's the only normal good tasting food is comes from that one planet (laughs) and he is going to save that planet.
0: That's, that's These hysterical. are kids' kids' priorities. Now, if they only oh, yeah. had if they only had Pokemon Go, you know.
2: Yeah, I know, I know. But really, honestly, when I when I talk to my sons about Book Three, um, and my oldest, essentially, he's like priorities, Mom. Like the food priorities. <laughs> <laughs> So Pizza Planet
0: is not just a name of a restaurant.
2: That's right. I was oh, going to mention right. that.
0: You beat me to Sorry. it. Sorry. <laughs> you don't want to know where they get the milk for the cheese. Oh, just no,
1: don't I ask. Sure don't. I sure don't.
2: Oh. <laughs> oh, you know, it was really funny. As I told you, I have notes. So, yes, mm-hmm. I do know where the milk comes for the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, and this is this is what gives, uh, as Susan was saying, this is what gives uh, the world that uh, that you build as a writer so much substance. Uh, the the sense that if you keep peeling back layers, you're going to find more world underneath, and right. there's more of it waiting in the wings that you can't see, you're just uh, uh, you're just not happening to look in that direction, but you know in your head that it's there, because right. every time. Uh, every time you look in some random direction, uh, you're going to see a little bit of texture of that world that may not necessarily have anything to do with the plot. But it does give you the sense that it's a real place.
0: You know, there's a right. there's a trash collector with a headache that day schlepping around, you know, and <laughs> and we don't know why he has a headache, but he's there. You know, he's a, right. There's there's people. It is it is a inhabited place.
2: Right right and and i really wanted my galaxy fully inhabited and and that's what just um, adds color because i mean I, I really it's like um there was a book that really in, influenced me it was the Rhythmatist by brandon sanderson mm. and he 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 broke apart the united states into single islands and each island had a purpose and and what they were known for which is really what Um, the United States is like, it's like the West Coast is known for something, the West is known for something, Midwest and South and Northwest and Northeast. Um, you know, they're all very specific and I had to, I had to leave the West, um, and experience the South and the Midwest for me to really understand that it's more than just what you hear on TV or, or hear on the radio about, you know, Southern charm and Midwestern, um, you know, Cajun and, uh, you know, and their attitude and what they're there for and um and when I once I experienced it, I was like, wow, I mean we're really not separate people, but we're very distinct people and what we say how we act and it really added color to um my novel because i i didn't want um i didn't want a new york or a london mm-hmm. where it's it is a melting pot of people and traditions and cultures i really wanted specific each planet is very specific and and of course each character is very specific i've i had a lot of people ask me about corbin Mm-hmm. um because they're like boy Corbin lets little truth bombs drop where you know he's been there done that mm. and but what was it and uh and I keep on thinking I think Corbin could have his own series by himself because he's an in- incredibly complex and multi-layered multifaceted person and uh but I mean they all ended up that way. I mean it's just, just because Ian's story is being told, Ariana could have her own story, um, you know, Sylvis could have his own series and Corbin and you know, but that's just that's the stuff that makes me happy.
0: You really could do a prequel to what led to the situation that uh Ian and Ariana are in, you know? The Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. And it's and wondering. Corbin was an integral part of yes. that.
0: Yeah, and, well, uh, he, every, like he's he's letting us know bit by bit about that,
2: isn't he? Oh, yeah. <sighs> the story yeah. goes on. Yeah. yeah, and book three is fantastic because he lets drop even more, and then you get to see how people uh, react to him being uh, back from exile, and he's not welcome. <laughs> I get mm-hmm. the feeling they well, wouldn't be happy to see him. No, well, because not only was he right, you know, He's, he's back and, uh, and live to tell the tale. And, cause most, most, uh, warriors, they, they would go to exile and they would stoically take it. You know, it would be mm-hmm. their honor. And, uh, but Corbin's not that way.
1: so, so, uh, so much of galactic, um, civilization, uh, in writing has to do with the, uh, th- has to do with dispensing with the idea that all of these places are really so distant. Um, can you talk about how the galactic civilization is knit together in terms of uh, its socialization as a culture?
0: Obviously, if we're supplying food from <coughs> planet to planet, they've they've licked the whole problem of you know it taking
2: ten thousand years to get there. Right. Right. And that's where I really wanted to bring in an update magic because um, magic is like, like the Amazon of the galaxy. I mean, it's like you want that in two days. Well, I can get there in one, you know, <laughs> type thing. It's, you know, um, everything is just it's very intricately. Um, it's set up very specifically. And I, I know that portals are used a lot. Um, but it's very magically based. some portals are one way, some are two way, some are dropped off a cliff, some are in a bathtub, some are just straight through a, a doorway. I mean it's really just wherever a magic has set upon that planet and um and and those doorways can be closed and temporary or permanently and you know, cause magic to me is just as predictable and organized as unpredictable and completely organic and um and these are things that Ian gets to discover, of course. And, you know, and he, as he's discovering the planets, he's realizing how important, um, the Garfellians and the Bankyrians are, are to the entire galaxy. And, and of course, their entire ecosystem completely depends on them and vice versa. And so it's, it's a deeply nepotistic mm-hmm. galaxy. Deeply.
1: So that solves that solves that problem. Are there uh, are there conventional uh, interstellar transport as well, or is it completely reliant on portals?
0: Well, it's just that magic is uh, any any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, as Arthur C. Clarke said. You, these are natural laws; you just don't know what they are yet. Oh, right. I, see. I see
2: I know that um you know Ian brings up frequently in, in book three you know he comments to Corwin you're know, like well why don't we have spaceships or you know then what's the point of gravity and he and of course Corwin's like, well because you've been on earth earth has no magic they have to compensate so you know in the galaxy where they're away from Earth and they're back on bank here in Garfell um they don't have to compensate anymore so you know things like a spaceship or you know, cars and, you know, boats and that that sort of thing are just really kind of nonsensical, nonsensical things that, you know, they kind of look down their nose at Ian for even suggesting, um, because it's such an earth construct because earth, the poor floundering earth has to, you know, handle things without magic, you know, and it really is, even though we think we're so technologically advanced, um, You know, they're like, oh, those poor earth people. (laughs) <laughs> they're so well, behind the rest of the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, but, but they could
0: be a model for the rest of the galaxy if a if, uh, certain magician takes all the magic for himself and doesn't leave anyone for anyone else, and then what exactly. will they do?
2: Exactly, which makes, of course, Ian and Ariana's plight so much more important. It's more than just, uh, you know, what they have to do to be together. Um, it's what, you know, and, and just their, oh, they're poor... But, you know, um, arranged marriage. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're really in a tight spot because it's more than just, oh, yeah, we have to combine our two planets and our kingdoms. It is, we have to unite the entire galaxy because if we don't, we're all going to be in trouble. No pressure. Yeah, no, no pressure.
1: <laughs> that, that is a lot of pressure to put on somebody who is still trying to figure out who they are as a person.
2: Right. Right, uh, which Ian has not
0: found out yet. I thought an SAT was a lot of pressure at
2: sixteen. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, I uh, I have a lot of boys at my house, um, more than just my sons. And the, the, the amazing thing is that these boys come and they talk and they laugh and they tell stories and that sort of thing. And the more and more I realize that if this is our future, it's going to be amazing because these kids can handle a lot. You'd be amazed how much teenagers can handle.
0: Thank goodness, because we're not leaving them a great world. <laughs> it's not a utopia yet. No. No, not, not even close.
1: This is uh, this sort of brings up something that uh, I was thinking of a couple minutes ago uh, when we were talking about how Earth uh, is... Has all the, the technology and uh, the rest of the universe is looking, looking at them going, Oh, this poor disadvantaged, this poor disadvantaged planet. And if things go upside down, Earth, it puts Earth in a dominant position.
0: Um, Oh, you want cars. Well, let's see. (laughs) What can you give us for (laughs) that?
2: Yeah. Earth would definitely be a superpower.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's like, um, Uh, Susan and I are both in the Society for Creative Anachronism and, uh, (laughs) one of the, one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, happens is, is that you learn how things were done 500 years ago before we had uh, electrical power to do them.
0: So it isn't a crackpot hobby. I'm building a a post-apocalyptic skill set. Yeah. You bring me a sheep, I can make you a sweater. It won't be fast,
2: but I can do it. That is awesome.
1: (laughs) And, and it's the same sort of thing. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, the, the idea that a culture can turn upside down because something, some major thing happens. And then what, how, uh, how that culture deals with it, uh, can be, um, dependent on the rules that you build into your world model. And that, that gets back to the world building question.
0: Well, the problem is Earth is in the furthest spot in the galaxy. You know, if there's a bright spot to the universe, Earth, Earth, Earth is, is the, the
1: place it's farthest from. from.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I don't know how they get there or hmm. ship
2: their, their, you know, Apollo capsules or whatever. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you're, you're really bringing up, uh, a lot of the backstory for book four, so thank you for doing that. <laughs> oh, <no>. I see. <laughs> Spoiler. Uh, <laughs> n- well, I mean, I was brainstorming, when I was brainstorming book four, my thoughts were, uh, what am I going to do to the Galaxy? What's Earth's role in it? And, um, I really wanted to pull Earth into the fray. And, uh, I wasn't quite sure if, I would drop more aliens in on Earth or if it would be absolutely necessary for these aliens to find refuge somewhere and and how they would be received. Um, so well, it depends, I mean, it, everything de- is hmm?
0: I think it would depend if they looked like a sea urchin or if they look like a cute kitty cat, you know, depends yeah, yeah, how they would yeah. be received. Well,
2: I have, you know, the people of ULath have a, fir- a third eye on their forehead because they always have to watch the volcanoes to make sure, you know, what's blowing, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh you know, I mean, I've got some funky-looking people. Um, but most of it was what what would they do because at the end of book three everybody's at war and they're at war with themselves and it's it's definitely a civil war and there's a big break between tradition and the future ian being the future and tradition being everything he's missed out on for the past 16 years um so uh but yeah no you 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 nailed book four so thank you (laughs) Uh (laughs) uh-oh Oops! <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> <laughs> alert! No, you're great.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't know. He's <laughs> pointing at me and going. Well, next question. <laughs> 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 next. No, it's all good. So tell us about yourself a little. Where did you? Where did you? How did you come here? Where, where, where were you? Creatively that that brought you to this place. That, um that question what? the form of the question made no sense at all.
2: <laughs> no, hey. Well, I'm I'm a writer. I will make up something from that question. No problem. <laughs> 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 no worries. Um I I grew up the youngest of eight kids um in in northern Utah right close to the Idaho border in this farm that was just literally out in the middle of nowhere. And we were city slickers. We came from, you know, the avenues, which is downtown Salt Lake City, to, uh, you know, our closest neighbor being a quarter mile away. And uh, my, my dad just upped and moved us there because he always wanted to be out in the country. And I really did have to go from city mentality to having to just make up stuff to you know, not be bored out of our minds. And uh, me and my sister especially were particularly creative and not in always in the best possible way.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was telling my sons about this just over dinner and and they looked at me like, if we did that, you would kill us. Not even kill like slaughter us. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know I would. I really... <laughs> and and but it was just uh we were just desperate for any sort of entertainment so we did a lot of things to that uh ranch that probably shouldn't have been done but we grew up with a lot of cows and horses chickens rabbits um and we we were so stinking poor we had to grow everything and that was our food and uh cuz i mean eight kids on a teacher salary and a high school teacher salary is just it's not feasible so um so we we grew up very different. And, of course, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s where every single one of my friends is talking about Nintendo and what video game they're playing mm-hmm. and, you know, what latest sitcom they're watching. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I just completely helped my dad calve a cow at <laughs> 2 a.m. and then did milking by hand at 6 and you know and just like barely scraped in the shower so I do not smell like cows before going to school I mean that's that's just what we did and uh, I felt like I was entirely behind the rest of my classmates and uh but we worked. Uh, we had an incredible work ethic that followed me right into, into adulthood, and um, and then it just shaped who I was. Because really, anybody who goes through the experiences we had growing up, either you're going to be really bitter and angry, or you're going to have a sense of humor about it. And thankfully, most of my family had a really good sense of humor about it because we we talk about it now and laugh. And like, <laughs> I can't believe we did that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's almost surreal.
1: The stories Uh. I could tell about my own childhood, but (laughs) then we'll save that for another episode. You
0: went well. You went fishing for chickens, didn't you?
1: No, no, I never went fishing for chickens. (laughs) I did other weird.
2: (laughs) Hey, 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 (laughs) hey!
0: Language. (laughs) Sorry.
1: I did other weird stuff.
2: Oh, no, I and I totally understand. I just uh, that'll you know, be an edit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you'll catch an edit. You'll do a bleep, no problem. Uh, um One particular that I just cracks my sons up is that we, my dad, did not like the horses at all. He didn't like them, and if we had to round up cattle, he would take the horses out, which is the obvious answer. Um, and he wouldn't do it. And so we would chase those cows everywhere. And finally he was like, Hey, they're too fast. Let's get in the farm truck and chase them down, which is asinine. Why? I don't know why he thought that was okay. So, uh, we're just going all over the fields trying to get these cows through the break in the fence so that we can, you know, get them back into corral where they belong. And we're, we're having a heyday. Me and my sister. Because there's no seatbelts in that truck and we're bouncing all over the place <laughs> and hitting the ceiling and almost flying out the window. And, you know, and my dad's like, this isn't working. And we had been at it for hours and hours. And, uh, and finally I was like, well, let me saddle up the horse and see if I, what I can do. And it took me 15 minutes. Oh. and <laughs> you know, was the totally right injury. tool for the right job. <laughs> yeah. And he was just, he was so incredibly angry and it, and it's just, and it really did show because later that season, um, our, one of our cows calved and she calved right in the middle of the barn briar, which is, you know, I mean, a good knee deep in, in muck and it was raining cats and dogs. And, uh, you know, and of course my dad's like, well, you've got little arms, you know, just reach in that cow and pull the calf out. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, why am I doing this? Why? <laughs> I was, I was just...
0: So, so of course that means she was
2: decaffeinated. <laughs> that was very awesomely punned. I have
0: I been waiting for you. I've been waiting for years to use that one. <laughs> Come on. I, I, I it definitely decaffeinated
2: her, and and coming from a farming community, I think I was the only. Uh, one of my friends who had ever calved a calf and it, which is amazing to me because they all came from enormous dairy farms. And I'm thinking to myself, how could you not? I mean, doesn't your dad tell you to go in there because you have smaller arms? I mean, why? <laughs> they
0: hire people for that if they've got enormous farms.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yes, definitely. They always have help, but, but it was just, it was a crazy, crazy life. And the more I, I grew up and I met my husband, he is off of a ranch as well. Was, and um, we moved, our sons and I, we went to Oklahoma. And uh, the South is a whole nother country.
0: It is. <laughs> yeah. It can be lovely.
2: It is lovely. It is lovely. And, and bless their hearts, they're the sweetest, nicest people in their crazy, crazy lives. And uh I just remember we we bought our house and we bought it really quickly and we went to uh my husband hadn't seen me he just trusted me that it was a decent house. <gasps> and uh th- the night we showed up, we went by and the neighbor's house had this toilet out on the front lawn and flowers blooming out of the bowl, and my husband went, Oh my gosh, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I- I said, I, I have, I have no idea. So we got everything moved in and that night, um, a whole slew of tornadoes came through. Oh, wow. And, and really, uh, it, it was, it was utterly surreal because uh, we just had barely bought this house and we had a tornado touchdown, oh, quarter mile away and went right past our house. <laughs> and, I, and it really was, and welcome to Oklahoma.
0: Oh,
1: wow there so, but for the grace
2: of god oh, holy yeah. cow didn't scare you off though apparently well no because i mean i grew up with the the mentality that you follow your husband wherever he gets his job and uh, and my husband's like well i can't quit i haven't even started yet mm. <laughs> we just bought this house we better stay you know and uh and we just we were at the tail end of tornado season when we moved and uh that, that was something else. When you look out the front uh, windows and there is a tornado just following the turnpike straight down the highway. Oh, right past <laughs> the house. And, uh, I just remember thinking, this is going to be an adventure. And, and it really was eight years of an adventure and it was fantastic. I mean, I wouldn't trade those years for the world, but we had a lot of cliches. It was pretty crazy.
1: You know, of course the, the, I just, Picture the the borderline between fantasy and reality, and then this is where Allison Peterson says, and then the next thing that happened was that the, the <laughs> tornado took a left onto the interstate.
0: <laughs> you know, it's it's like a Twister movie home game.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness! You know, really honestly, there are things that happen in Oklahoma that really. I mean, I thought that I had a crazy life before I moved. Um, it, it exponentially went <laughs> crazier, and and there was this one. We would plan. We had to watch the news every single time a tornado season happened, and because there was the same house, I swear every year that it just got wiped off the map. And. <laughs> It was right in the middle of Tornado Alley. I mean, the whole state is right in the middle of Tornado Alley, but it's on the flattest, flattest plateau of Oklahoma. And finally, I think on our eighth year there, they were saying, like, this house had been wiped out and rebuilt like a grand total of 14 times but it was the most exciting thing ever we would map it out and try to figure out where the tornado was and if it was going to wipe out that single house <laughs> you know just did they did they say you know call for a son of a bitch or what I mean what, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell I know I know really and it it's was so- like well, a lot of people and especially um we we had this one particular weatherman, and and he was just had this fabulous dry humor, and he was like, "Oh Lord, bless those people!" Uh, yeah. Uh, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, then of course, all my neighbors are like, "Did they not say their prayers? Have they not been saved, people? Have they not been saved?"
1: <laughs> so all of this stuff feeds back into the creative well. That uh, that that you have as a writer, it
0: does explain why so many you know great fantasy writers have come out of Oklahoma. Though (laughs) (laughs) you've got your C.J. Cherry, you've got your Mercedes Lackey. You know, it's just suddenly it's this wellspring of weird. Uh huh. Yeah, wellspring of
2: weird. weird. (laughs) (laughs) In the most fantastic way, and I, I thought it might just be Oklahoma, but I've been through Arkansas and Texas. And, uh, and of course all over Kansas and Nebraska and all that, that's not the South, but even the Midwest has this particular way that they do things. And, um, but they're all fantastic, fantastic people. But really, honestly, I mean, there, there are a few things where you have to slow down, slam on the brakes and take a good long look because you're never going to see that again. (laughs) And
1: I mean, this as i was saying this this has to be uh feeding your writing i mean this is a tr- what a tremendous wellspring of experience to draw upon
2: oh yeah yeah no, it's just oh i the the whole i never i didn't graduate in english i had no interest in writing i was an artist i did mm-hmm. painting i watercolor specifically um when we moved to Oklahoma, I lost my desire completely to paint. I don't know what got into me, but it was like a writer's block for painting. I just had no desire for it. And um, I would write home uh, it, at least once a week, if not once every two weeks, on weird things that I would seen or people had said or done. Um, you know, I, I had that one neighbor with the toilet out front. I mean, he was just golden for Crazy, and it was fantastic because every new thing. His my favorite one is when his his air conditioning in his van broke, and in the South you have to have air conditioning or you lose brain cells. No, yeah, it's, it's life hot. support. Yeah, and he, you know, he found an old swamp cooler at the junkyard, and he bungee corded and <laughs> duct taped it to the top of his van.
1: I can just picture that. That must have been.
2: It was fantastic. I was like I to see. An aerodynamics of a brick, but it,
0: <laughs> but I bet it worked. Yeah.
2: Oh, I'm sure it worked great. And he had, you know, um, the, the big gallon jugs and duct tape to the back and, you know, and he had it running and he was fantastic. So I'd write this kind of thing back to my family in, in Utah and they just thought it was a riot. And, and the course of saying, you know, you need to write this down and make a memoir out of it, but I hate writing memoir. I don't like. I, I, just, I'm not a fan. So I thought, well, but I can make it into fantasy because nobody's gonna believe half the thing that happened down here to me. And, cause really, I didn't believe it. I really didn't. <laughs> I mean, my, my best friend in Oklahoma, she went to a Justin Bieber concert with her daughter. And she sent me a text and she says, it is so bleepity bleep loud here, I have to put tampons in my ears. <laughs> And I thought, I don't need you. <laughs> you know, you do what you gotta do. Oh, oh yeah. God. And I was like, you are lying. I Show me a picture. So yeah, she selfied herself. <clears throat> With the white strings coming out. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh
1: that is awesome. That is just awesome. (laughs)
2: And and really, honestly, when I came back to Utah, my and you know, you go to the grocery store and it is an event. People talk to you. You talk about recipes. You talk about food and spices and what's going on in your kids lives. I mean, I made friends with people that I lived on the other side of town and I had never met before, but they instantly become your best friend because it's the South. Uh-huh. That's that's the only reason. It's because it's the South. And when I moved back to Utah, um I went to the grocery store and I started talking to this lady and she gave me this most dry look, like excuse me?
1: Oh mm-hmm. you get away from me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and and she very very obviously and, and dramatically like packed her kids into the cart and hurried off as fast as she could, I thought oh this is culture shock too (laughs) oh wow Mm -hmm. so it goes it it goes both ways but I mean even stodgy Utah has uh, you know the stodginess is just as humorous to me as the craziness of the south so you find it
0: everywhere what a
1: contrast
0: have you been to any of the science fiction conventions in the south? They're wonderful. Oh, they're fantastic. Yeah. There's the fun- Fanish Good Fellowship plus the the southern charm and and you know, oh yeah. Just just a very powerful combination.
2: Oh yeah. but my absolute favorites are um when the real hard stomping Bible preaching pastors get together. And and that to me is is fantastic. It's fascinating and a lot of my dialogue has been gleaned from the way that they talk, how they inflect what they say and oh but it, I mean really eat, I don't really this is horrible I'm, I'm going to get hit by lightning because I just love listening to not how what they're saying but how they say it because it's fascinating.
0: I don't see anything objectionable about that there's music <laughs> in every speech
2: Oh yeah, no, they're, I I mean, and especially if they're colored, I don't know if that's incredibly racist or insensitive, but, um, I had the most fun talking to the people who were, you know, they've been, they're black and they've been in the South their entire lives and their parents, 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 parents have been there their entire lives. And, um, you know, I mean, you can't even go to the DMV and I'm not, I'm not lying about this. Oh my gosh, seriously. Truth is stranger than fiction. I went to the DMV to get new license plates on my brand new car, and this lady, she's like, "You know, is this your car?" And I said, "Yes." You know, let's just go through the motions, and we just started talking because it's Oklahoma—you talk.
0: Uh huh.
2: And she looks out the door and she says, "Oh, is that your car?" And I said, "Yes." Yeah. She's like, "Oh, damn, girl, you did good." <laughs> I said, thank you. My husband bought it for me. And she, I kid you not, she about took down the roof. Praise the Lord. <laughs> 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 Praise the Lord God Almighty wow. that there are good men in this world. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there is a line. And it's people holy are staring. Roller
1: and <laughs> <laughs> there you are at the front of it. The- oh, my oh, God. Oh, my goodness.
2: Wow. She put She put her hands on me. And she blessed me. And... Lord save you and your beautiful husband. And and I was like, this is the DMV.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm just here to get my registration.
2: You know, but that's it's all about love, isn't it? Come on. I guess oh, so. Very loving people. Yeah. Very, very loving people. And I, I do miss that. I do miss that. Because I went to the DMV just last week and I thought I could use some praise the Lord in here, but it's gonna be more like swearing, not praising. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's most people's, uh, most people's experience with the DMV leaves them more ready to swear at it than by it.
0: Oh, you, right. you will get, like, the one good person in every office. Uh, every office right. has one nice person.
1: Anyway, right. um, the uh, your life experiences have, have obviously uh, bled into your writing to a, a magnificent degree. Uh, the book we are discussing is Ian Quicksilver, The Warrior's Return, the first book of two published so far. And, and at
0: least two to go.
1: And we are talking to the author, Allison Peterson. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Event Horizon. It has been a real pleasure. And you have been a delight to talk to. <laughs>
2: oh, thank you. It's been fun. It's been very, very fun.
1: You have been listening to episode 163 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for March 5th, 2017. Our guest this afternoon was Alison Peterson, writer and creator of the Ian Quicksilver series of young adult novels. Your hosts have been Gene Turnbow and Susan Fox. This is the second episode to air in its new time slot of 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And if you started listening at 9 p.m. Pacific or midnight Eastern, it's because we didn't want you to miss the show because you didn't get the memo or you forgot. Next week, though, you're on your own. (laughs) This episode will air again at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow afternoon, that's Sunday, and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. Krypton Radio is listener-supported geek culture radio, and though some of our money does come from advertising, most of it comes from avid listeners just like you. If you enjoy listening to Krypton Radio, please help us out so that we can stay on the air. Visit patreon.com slash Krypton Radio and contribute whatever you can. Even $5 a month makes an enormous difference because it all adds up. Single drops of water can add up to a tidal wave, and that can keep your favorite radio station and shows like this one on the air and thriving. If you are an artist, writer, actor, or other creator and you would like to appear as a guest on the event horizon, please contact our production manager Kat Carter, at Carter at kryptonradio.com Do visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio and contribute it's, It would really help us out. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christian Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2017 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.